I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. This is the Don't Be Crazy Movie Podcast, a show for film fans of all shapes, sizes, backgrounds, and tastes. On this show, I enlist help from fellow film enthusiasts to discuss what makes certain movies good or bad. We are by no means experts, but instead just big-time cinema fans who love to talk our butts off. I am your host, Zach Rancourt, and with me today is Stephen Wood. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Uh, Really happy to be back on the show. I always have fun talking to you about movies and uh, true lies. I mean, come on. I'm super excited. I'm such a big Arnold fan that I'm, I'm like pumped to talk to you guys. Well, and when I was thinking of what episode to do, I was like, man, I also love Arnold movies. And who's a bigger Arnold fan than Stephen Wood? And I was like, this guy lived and breathes Arnold. And it's so funny on your, you know, your horse squad podcast. When anytime an Arnold conversation comes up, I'm like, oh, Steve's got this. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's pretty awesome. So why don't you introduce yourself? You know, who are you? Where are you from? What's your background? And when did you get into film? So uh, I'm from, well, I, I currently live in Ottawa, Canada, uh, but I'm originally from Montreal. Uh, that's where my heart is, but um, I moved to Ottawa <laughs> for my job. Um, I, my background, I went to film school in college with the hopes of becoming a screenwriter and a director. But uh, unfortunately, I like money. And uh, I realized <laughs> that, you know, having an actual job and not chasing my dream was easier to have money than starving to death and trying to reach my dream. <laughs> So I decided that film was better as a hobby rather than uh, an occupation. Uh, but you know, now with the advent of stuff like YouTube and podcasts and stuff like that, I'm kind of having a new renaissance in my love of film because I get to talk to it with people who enjoy the same films as I do. Uh, and I do so through my podcasts, uh, the Horror Squad podcast for horror and the Let's XP Geek and Gaming podcast for non-horror. And it's just a great way to kind of put out my passion out there of cinema and talk about all sorts of films and meet great people who also love those films. So yeah, that's pretty much my background. And that's, and what got me into film actually is my father. Um, My father and I, that's how we communicated. And that was what bonded us the most is going to video stores every Friday night and picking, we each picked one movie and he would usually pick, you know, an action film and, I mean, early on, I'd pick more kid like comedy films, but eventually it also became action and horror. And uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger was our kind of both our favorites. So uh, we always if there was an Arnold film on, you know, on the shelf, we were definitely picking that uh, that sticker off uh, like, like they used to do with the little <laughs> Velcro uh, <laughs> buttons that they used to have at the video stores and watch his film. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I wanted you on today because we are going to discuss True Lies from 1994. I have seen so many Arnold movies. I've pretty much seen every Arnold movie he's ever made, even the the more recent ones like in the past few years um, or in the past five years, I should say. But I mean, there it's it's so hard to beat a classic Arnold movie. And I and I think True Lies came at this time when, you know, the early 90s, like you spoke about your you and your father getting into movies. That's how I got into movies. And we 
we had certain films like True Lies, Independence Day, Twister, and Speed all on VHS. And and they all kind of came out in the 90s around this time where they're so influential for me in my formative years. So like this movie holds a special place in my heart because I just remember pulling it out of the sleeve or when you rent it from a blockbuster and you got to squeeze it out of that plastic thing. It's uh man, it's it's awesome. So I, I was like, who better than Steve to come and talk about True Lies? So this movie is directed by James Cameron. Uh, you may remember him from indie films like Terminator 2, Judgment Day, Titanic, Avatar and Aliens with an S. It's, it was the it's a remake, actually, of the film. The original film is called La Totale which is a French film, and I'm probably butchering it, but uh, it was written by Claude Zidi, uh, Simon Michal, I think it's Michael, uh, Didier Kaminka, I think that's it. They wrote La Totale, and then James Cameron took that source material, and he kind of translated his own screenplay for it, so uh, he's a he's a one-man show, that James Cameron. The cast includes Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jamie Lee Curtis, who's amazing in this movie, Tom Arnold, Bill Paxton, Tia Carrera, Art Malik, Eliza Dushku, and Grant Heslov. Uh, Art Malik is awesome as a bad guy. He's super fun. He's like, get the batteries. <laughs> awesome stuff. Um, critical reception. So on IMDb, this has a 7.3 out of 10, which is passing, which is good. It's about a C, C minus. And then on Rotten Tomatoes, it has a 70% tomato meter rating. So pretty good. I think that's certified fresh-ish. And then the audience score is slightly higher at 76%. So not the highest Arnold rated movie on Rotten Tomatoes, but still very good. Um, And it is streaming. uh, I watched it on Hulu in the United States, and it is on stars in Canada. I I, I believe that's what I that's what I found. I read for for the brethren up up north. It's it's possible. I I had it on uh, on DVD, so it wasn't. uh, Well, there you go. Yeah, I thought I had it. I think I have it on DVD, but I couldn't go find. I didn't want to go get my binder of of movies. So I was like, I got to find it streaming somewhere. And uh, I thought I purchased it, but I did not. So it'll be. Now that I talk about it, it's going to pop up on like HD movie codes or something. And I'll be like, oh, sweet. (laughs) There we go. So the budget for this film, it was a doozy. This was, I think, one of the highest uh, highest budgeted films in the 90s to that day. I mean, it makes sense with James Cameron, right? So 115 million was the estimated Uh, opening weekend uh, or is that opening weekend? Yeah, opening weekend in the U.S. and Canada, it made about $26 million, and that was on July 17th, 1994. And then overall, the gross in the U.S. and Canada was $146.3 million. Worldwide, you're looking at three seventy-eight dollars and some change. So it made a lot of money. It doubled its budget, but that still is surprising because I, I feel like with the draw of Arnold Schwarzenegger, it probably should have tripled the budget, but who knows? So quick... Uh, a couple quick trivia facts. So apparently the scene when Tom Arnold is telling Arnold Schwarzenegger about uh, his second wife taking everything when she left him, even the ice cube trays from the freezer. And he says, you know, what kind of sick bitch does that? Takes ice cube trays out of the freezer. That was based on Tom Arnold's real life wife, <laughs> Roseanne Barr, which is hilarious. And that's so weird. <laughs> like, I love that line, first of all. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, that was a big weird thing. I remember that in the 90s. Tom Arnold would just show up on Roseanne like all, all the time and then would just <laughs> stop showing up, you know? Uh, yeah, it's, He's a... Tom Arnold is so like, I swear to God, it was all that cocaine probably in the 90s he's doing. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just all over the place, that guy. Yeah. 
but it's pretty, pretty cool. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biggest challenge for this movie was not doing the physical stuff because he knows how to do those stunts, but actually it was learning how to tango. He had to take dancing lessons to realistically perform the dance, which is hilarious because he's such a big guy. But right. if you look at his bodybuilding career, he took like ballet or ballet lessons and how to pose your body. So that's why I don't think it would be that difficult for him. But alas, there we are. So apparently he rehearsed that tango scene, both tango scenes for about six months as he wanted to make sure he was as good at, at tango as Al Pacino was in Scent of a Woman. So <laughs> pretty, big sho- pretty big shoes to fill. There. Uh, right. <laughs> My favorite tango scene. Um, and then so those Harrier uh, jets, those were actual real Harrier jets. The U.S. government supplied three Marine Harriers and their pilots for a fee of one hundred thousand uh, dollars per hour or per day, I guess. So basically two thousand four hundred and ten dollars per hour. And in ninety nine or ninety four, that was quite a bit of money, but they were cool and they had some amazing parts. So and then finally, the striptease scene drew some criticism from its perceived misogynistic content. Director James Cameron later said that Jamie Lee Curtis had heavy input on in how the scene was played out. The original idea was for Helen to go completely nude, but in the dark so that her, only her silhouette would be seen. It was actually Jamie Lee Curtis's own suggestion to do it in full light while keeping her underwear on. She demonstrated it to Cameron beforehand, who had remarked that he was reminded there was... Or, what is so cool about his job. He also noted the most of the criticism of the scene came from men, while most of the female reviewers praised it as an empowering and even liberating scene for Helen. I don't know how accurate that is, but very fascinating. It is one of those scenes that you're like, Ooh, I don't know if this aged well, but I'm also not a woman, so I can't speak to that. But I don't know. It's, it's pretty risque. Yeah. I remember seeing it uh, even back then in 94 and thinking like, Whoa, (laughs) like this is, this is crazy. You know, I, I'd known her from Halloween and she's such a reserved, you know, she wears sweaters and she's like, so <laughs> I don't know. It was so weird to see her in this role and kind of break out in this way. It was, uh, yeah, it was good. And now like, I get it. It's, it's tough to see how people will react to things like that and how p- things age. But I think it aged gracefully. I mean, what he's doing, we'll talk about it later. What he's doing is maybe a little too much, you know, the kind of what he's doing to his wife there. But, uh, I think the fact that she is breaking out of that shell in that scene and then is tough enough to kind of get, you know, use the phone and hit his brain, hit his brash in, like his brain in, sorry, uh, is, is good. It's a good scene. It's Yeah, cool. I agree. It's it's probably one of the most memorable scenes in the entire film. Like if mm-hmm. you think of True Lies, I think of her dancing and just the, the music and she looks amazing. Like she's she's yeah. absolutely beautiful. I've always thought Jamie Lee Curtis was just gorgeous and I love her to death. I love her movies that she does and huge Halloween fan. We'll see what happens with Halloween ends. Maybe they can redeem themselves from that damn kills. But, yeah. you know, uh, who, who knows? I got to watch <laughs> the taste out of that out of that movie out of my mouth. Ugh. Right. Yeah, I. I I don't know. I really don't have high hopes, especially now that they're also <laughs> bringing out streaming the same day as uh, oh, theater. Yeah. I, I feel that they don't have the confidence in it that they should. Um, we'll mm. see. I, I I hope they do something good, but I'm going in with reserved <laughs> expectations. As well, you should. Well, here's a synopsis that I took from the interwebs. Uh, I didn't cite it because I can't remember where I got it from, so I apologize. But it is a brief and quick synopsis. So for years, Harry Tasker has been leading a double life. His family thinks he is a salesman. His wife thinks he is boring. But really, under a complex mask of fake offices and identifications, he is one of the most highly trained spies in the world. So when he goes on a business trip, his family thinks he is going to seminars. In fact, he is taking on deadly terrorists. Harry now has been assigned to investigate the robbery of several nuclear devices. 
His investigation will lead him to the Arab terrorist Aziz, a man who plans to wreak vengeance on several U.S. cities. However, in the midst of all this, Harry also tries to determine what his wife's secret is. She may be having an affair with a used car salesman named Simon. Hey, because it's you. But (laughs) But whether it be deadly terrorist or slimy salesman, there's one thing that Harry may have trouble with. What will happen when his wife finds out he's a spy? So that is True Lies. If you haven't seen it, I highly recommend. If you haven't seen it, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> but we appreciate you anyways. So, Steve. All right. So let's get it going. So an opening scene, it can make or break a film. And we've seen so many amazing openings throughout history of, of cinema, right? The Dark mm-hmm. Knight, Boogie Nights, this. It sets the tone for how the rest of the movie will play out. And I really, really enjoyed the opening to True Lies. And I think that it worked wonderfully to establish what type of movie we would be getting ready to watch. How good was the opening for you? And then are there things that you noticed and that you liked? I really love the opening of this movie because it does a great job of establishing Harry Tasker as being kind of the go-to spy um, for the United States, you know, because it really shows off his skills in a graceful and entertaining way. I mean, he... Uh, sneaks into that facility with ease, absolutely no problem. He wears the, uh, you know, he, he wears the suit, uh, like the tuxedo suit, just as like James Bond would. Yeah, he walks into absolutely. the facility. Uh, he speaks multiple languages. We see him speaking French. We spe- see him speaking Arabic. Um, he, you know, he adapts to the situations extremely quickly. He's very uh, quick on his feet. You know, he he bumps into someone and oh, Colonel, it's nice to see you again. Because he right really quickly scanned who the person in front of him is, sees what rank he is, and makes it look like he knows him. And he does that throughout the party, just to establish just how good he is on the spot and how long he's been doing this and how much of a pro he is at doing this. And then he seamlessly he gets what he needs to do. He can accomplishes his mission. And again, something goes wrong. Uh, you know, they're about to catch him, and he goes into this. You know, he hides into a piece of art. He has, uh, he meets Juno Skinner there and then they do the tango and it also establishes his support system. You know, you have uh, Gib in the van kind of helping him out saying, okay, who is Juno Skinner? And you also establish kind of the relationship that they have, how <laughs> when he starts tangoing, it's like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> it's just Harry Tasker being Harry Tasker. And not only that, but it ends with him being so good at his job He's just cocky about it. You know, he, he's walking out. It's like, well, here's my invitation, blows things up, and he knows he'll be fine. You know, so he goes down and they have ski guards, apparently. That's a thing that they were prepared for <laughs> at this facility. Totally normal thing. Totally normal. <laughs> right. And, and right up to the end, after this huge chase scene, and he kills some people and he comes down the hill, uh, he's just like casually walks into the van. He puts Gib back in the seat so he could shoot with the two last guys. He's like, Let's go. I don't want to miss my airplane. <laughs> it, it was great. It established this movie so well, and I absolutely love it for it. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think you nailed it with it, uh, where it's his James Bond moment. I mean, this is this is the first time that we've ever really seen Arnold be James Bond, and it's it's pretty much an homage to Goldfinger, how the opening is. And I, I love spy movies, and I love, love, love James Bond, and I really, really, really love when people, when he does the scuba suit thing, and then... <laughs> takes it off and boom, now he has a, cl- a clean, dry, perfectly right. <laughs> like groomed tuxedo. And I'm like, come on, like that's the most unrealistic thing in this entire movie. Not the, not the Uzi dropping down the stairs and shooting people <laughs> right. or anything like that. It's, it's this. 
And um, I absolutely love it. You're right. And just with how many languages he speaks. So I watch mm-hmm. movies with subtitles and it's so cool because it said like Arabic and then it said like Hebrew and then it said, you know, like uh, Mandarin and all these things he's doing. I'm like, Jesus, how he can switch between those so quick and to be like, there, there's too much garlic here. Take it away or something like that. It's he, it's he a- says absolutely uh, incredible. I, I don't know if it translated this. I, I speak French. I'm fluent in French as well. He says, uh, this is dog food. Take it away. Start over. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's crazy. Like, I, he's so mean to the staff when you think about it. Like, he's making the redo the entire food as if yeah. he's some important guy. Uh, but he, he sells it. You know, they believe him because he, he has the authority. He's confident in himself. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. And I mean, it really it's kind of a misdirection, the opening scene, because you're like, oh, sweet. This is going to let's let's just say there were no trailers really for True Lies or you took the barbarian approach like we were talking about before the show and you went in not knowing anything. You'd be like, all right, well, this is Arnold Schwarzenegger being James Bond. Mm -hmm. But then you switch to his life and you're like, oh, whoa, this is way different. He's lying to his wife and, and everything. And so I think this this opening just really sets up the film in, in, in such a good way. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. I, I just remember watching it and be like, God, I can't, I forgot how much I love this opening scene. I think it's fantastic. And I would honestly put it up uh, with movies like the dark Knight, uh, Raiders mm-hmm. of the lost Ark, the matrix Kingsman, those kinds of, uh, of awesome openings to action movies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's great. So, so James Cameron himself, he's uh, he's quite a Titanic level director oh, see what i did there he he definitely has made a few blockbusters in his in his past and he, he he can do them left and right he can pull them out of his ass pretty much we'll see what happens with the next few avatars but i mean he already pretty much has my 20 dollars or however much it costs nowadays his track record really speaks for itself and practically every film is just a a banger is it fair though to expect every james cameron movie to be great is he allowed to make a bad one once in a while? Or does, is he like just on this pedestal that he has to make good movies? I mean, he's made one bad movie, in my opinion, in his entire career. And that's Piranha 2, the spawn. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> yeah. that one. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, I mean, that that's that's unfair because that's his first one. And he probably, it's not like he had much input probably into that film, you know. But outside of that, it's almost flawless. It's It's really crazy how good... James Cameron is and he doesn't make films often he only has like what 18 films that he's directed and some of those are just like documentaries he's done in between films yeah it's actually (laughs) pretty crazy to think just how few films he makes and they're all great so yeah you you have to almost expect greatness out of him because his record reflects that now uh like can he make a bad movie and is it fair yeah that's gonna happen you know some people won't like the stuff that he makes but he has the reputation and, quite frankly, the credentials to at least give him the benefit of the doubt. And I know a lot of people are shitting on Avatar. You know, Avatar 2, I'm not going to go see it. It's stupid. You know, $3 billion, people, uh, $3 billion <laughs> worth of people watched the first Avatar in theaters. I mean, come on. I, I'm going to go see number two. I mean, I'm curious enough. He's earned that to me to at least give it a shot. And I liked Avatar. I thought it was actually pretty good. I mean, it's a little long and there are issues too, but yeah, I'm, I'm psyched for it. I think he's earned the right for me to pay my ticket and at least see what he's got. A hundred percent. And I mean, previously we've discussed on this podcast, the merits of James Cameron and 
I we did Avatar uh, back in the day, and, and I, I don't think it's a good movie. I actually don't like it. But the thing I really appreciate is the spectacle that it is. And, and I remember seeing it. I saw it twice in theaters because I needed to make sure I didn't like it. But <laughs> seeing it, seeing it in 3D, which was a huge gimmick, it still was fun. Right. And seeing it in IMAX, I mean, it's visually stunning. And so when the way of the water comes out, I think later this year, I'm definitely going to see it. I I, I have to, it, it might be bad, but it doesn't matter because avatar two, three, four, and five, whenever the hell they're going to be done. I mean, he has my $25 or however much it is for IMAX. Um, it's, he just has that clout and you kind of, you kind of expect that now, but movies like the abyss and aliens and you know, the, the, the first terminator, they're, they're all so well done that, yeah, he can just, he puts his name on anything and holy crap, it is, it's like spitting out gold. So mm-hmm, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, I, I would say you're right. There was a lot of studio interference probably with his first movie with Piranha yeah. 2, but, um, <laughs> yeah, start somewhere, very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he definitely has a unique style to him per se. Even in this movie, you can see more of the cinematic approach that he takes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it'll, It'll it's it's interesting. We'll have I have a question coming up actually, and we'll we'll talk about it. But he the way he uses his lens flares and just the the filter he uses on his cameras and the wide angles he shoots, it's very much how like Michael Bay does his films. It has a very distinct look. All most James Cameron movies have a very distinct look, and it, and it works very well in this setting. Right. So action movies throughout the years have had incredible highs and terrible terrible lows. And a lot of this is because CGI or other visual effect, visual effects inadequacies can ruin the viewing experience completely. This is not the case, though, for True Lies. This is a movie that looks just as good now in 2022 as it did in 94. I couldn't believe I was watching the same movie, minus a few little hiccups that here and there. It still looked fantastic. So can True Lies be considered a near-perfect action film? And if someone were to remake it, today why would you say don't do that don't remake it uh you know yeah to me it's actually my favorite action film so yeah i think it's as near perfect of an action film as basically it's gonna get it has everything that i'm personally looking into an action film it's quotable uh it's funny at times a lot of memorable scenes uh it's the pacing like i'm constantly interested in what's going on you know it just moves from different thing to different thing it's over the top. I mean, let's face it. It's it's kind of ridiculous at times over the top, but it's also grounded at the same time. It's super weird. Like there are things that absolutely would not happen in real life while the rest of it, I believe that it's real. It's, it's like just, I guess, the brilliance of James Cameron. Uh, as far as, you know, remaking it, I don't think it should be remade. Someone might want to remake it, but I don't think studios would would remake it. it on paper, this is must have been a ridiculous uh, movie to like present <laughs> yeah. to a studio. Like if you just read the sequences that happen in this movie, I don't know how somebody looked at that and said, I think that that's good. I, I think that'll work because yeah, ch- chasing a, a horse through a hotel and all that, <laughs> taking an no, elevator it, to the top. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's crazy. Uh, this movie on paper, but man, he made it work. So if you want to try that, and remake it today <laughs> and you won't have the the goat of action films and you won't have probably you know a jamie lee curtis and one of the greatest directors of all time and good luck but i don't think you should touch this one 
Yeah, and and usually I'm fine with a remake. People who listen to the show know I'm not a big remake fan, but I'm fine with a remake if it can present a new idea and it can enhance the first one. And there's really nothing else you can do to enhance this movie. Um, You're right. You had A-list action star. When you think of action films in the 80s, 90s, you think of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was one of the biggest movie stars in the world. And then same thing with this. Jamie Lee Curtis was also a mega star. And so it's, it's hard to fill those shoes especially if you are just trying to retell the same story, because we've seen so many movies like this since then that it's 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 nothing that's going to surprise us. This was brand new back in the day. And we were like, holy crap, look at how 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 well this is and how, how uh, what a great blend it is of of being overly cheesy, but also being really funny, but also being uh, balanced with good action scenes and it's just it's incredibly self-aware it doesn't try too hard in my opinion but all of the the brilliant moments of action are capped wonderfully by by comedic timing and of like tom arnold when you know he kisses the pole after <laughs> it protects him and things like that and just um it, it's all it's all over the place but in a really good way and, and i think you're absolutely right the pacing the pacing of this movie i don't get bored watching it I, I, I feel like I'm like, OK, cool, cool. What's next? What's next? What's next? And even as a kid, thought the same right. thing, man. So it, yeah. it's great. Could, could we talk about Tom Arnold's character give for a second? Though? Please. Yeah. Just uh, something. So I've watched this. God, I, I've lost count how many times I've seen this. But this is the first <laughs> time that I actually watch it like critically to try to kind of dissect it and really uh, look at everything this movie has to offer. Give is a great like partner. Uh, business-wise, you know, he's he's a great support system and everything, but he's, like, got to be the worst friend ever. The whole movie, <laughs> yes. every time that uh, Harry, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, is having marital trouble, he's, like, giddy with excitement every single time. <laughs> he's so happy that Harry is experiencing the same shit that he's been experiencing in his lifetime that you could just feel his, like, smile every time that he's depressed. It's so weird. It's a... Uh... Something I noticed this time, I'm like, damn, give like, like lady, lady, easy on him. He's been married 15 <laughs> years for fuck's sake, and you know, it's it's crazy. He's yeah, a great character. He, it's it's like if he's miserable, he wants he wants his best friend to be miserable too. <laughs> right. Like when he tells him, he's like, welcome to the club or whatever, you know. And yeah, <laughs> finds out that Helen's cheating. Exactly. Yeah. When they're uh, listing in on Simon and uh, Helen at the restaurant. And he's like enjoying Simon's speech because it's so ridiculous. You know, it keeps getting like, better and better. Right? <laughs> so funny. <laughs> oh man, Bill Paxton, RIP. He does such a good sleazeball. Oh my he's, God, he's, the best. he's so good at being a sleazeball. And just even him, like, you know how I feel about eat, people eating food in movies. I, I can't stand it. But right. when he's eating the hot dog and telling a story and just his mouth is wide open. I'm like, oh, he's so he's so slimy in everything he does. He, he emulates what I, I would think a stereotypical used car salesman would look like, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. He, actually, I have a theory about this. This is in my own like head theory. I feel <laughs> that, that this movie shares a universe with Die Hard and Simon is Ellis's uh, like long lost brother. Because oh, wow. to me, they are the same character. They're from the same tree. And I, I always, every time I watch either Die Hard or True Lies, I think these two guys got to be brothers, you know, just on different coasts. And yeah, it's I, I love Simon, the Simon character, and that's a lot because of Bill Paxton, who is just fantastic in the role. And I love Bill Paxton. You know, it's 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 weird because I love him. He's such a great guy, but 
in this role, he's just so sleazy and he's um, so sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> Pisses his pants. Oh my yeah, yeah, God. yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah, he's he's fantastic in this. That's a really good theory. And I mean, you're absolutely right. Like Hans, Bubby. It's <laughs> right? uh he's got that I could, same uh yeah (laughs) i could totally see simon talking his way out of a situation he tries to and when they get kidnapped he's like take her right he tells tells them to take (laughs) jamie lee curtis and i'm like jesus this guy's a piece of shit but you know um he's kind of the yin to the yang of of harry in a certain sense because harry's very good at adapting to situations and, and and being a spy and the same thing with with Simon, who's probably had a lot of practice with being a sleazeball, but he has that entire briefcase that he literally just carries around so he can pretend to be a spy to meet a girl, which is fucking crazy. <laughs> right. And 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 then his his backstories for everything and how he wants to get close to Helen and he tries to touch her and she jumps. He's like, you got you got to be careful because that's how we could get killed in the field if you act like that. And he's he's very smooth, but it's so it's so cringy. And so I I, I think he does do a good job of of that opposite of what harry actually is he you know i'll give him right. credit for the fact that he can adapt pretty quickly <laughs> yeah yeah it's great yeah man this movie is just uh it, it's such a it's such a good blend and besides from some of the cgi uh, from like the harrier jets otherwise everything else was real and it looked legit the practical effects were on point in this movie um a huge fan of all that. There were times when you could definitely see it was a stunt double instead of Arnold. That, but, every Arnold yeah. movie, because he's so unique looking, right? That yeah. when it's not Arnold, it's very obvious. It's very um, obvious. Yeah. And also, I noticed uh, a few like backdrops in, in this time that I didn't notice, I guess, in the past. Oh. When, he, when he's on the horse on the on the roof, it's so mm-hmm. obviously a backdrop. Yeah. And, you know, it's just, but, you know, you got to let it go. It's 94. It's just the way it was. Yeah, and they did. I mean, they did a really good job, though, because everything else, again, with the practical effects were, oh, yeah. were on point. And James Cameron knows how to make a freaking action movie. So I will. He has that that card, like we were saying, uh, for the rest of his, his life. So speaking of this and, you know, anyone who, who listens to the Let's XP Gaming or the Horse Squad podcast, they know I listen to both. They know that you're a huge Arnold Schwarzenegger fan, like we were talking about earlier. Explain to me why this is your favorite Arnold movie. Is there any scene that actually doesn't do it for you or? Or do you just love every single minute of this movie? Uh, I, I just, it's this to me is like the ultimate Arnold film. It showcases all of my favorite things that Arnold Schwarzenegger is. And that is a badass action star, but also a lighthearted, like goof head. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because I love kindergarten cop. I love twins. You know, I like when Arnold Schwarzenegger is being kind of a goofball. On the other hand, I super love him in Commando and uh, (laughs) Predator and all the other stuff. So to me, this like the perfect marriage of both because I get both Arnold in the same movie. Um, You know, it's it's quotable. I quote this movie all the time. I I just absolutely (laughs) the the, it's not it's not Arnold, but the hey, because it's you. (laughs) I I do that all the friggin' time because it's so friggin' funny. Uh, It's just. Everything about this movie, I really love. Now, is it a perfect movie? No. You know, no movie is really perfect. I mean, there are some that I consider as close as possible, but uh, I there's no scenes I can point to that I say, okay, I really don't like this scene, or this one is kind of slowing things down. I, I really like everything about this movie in its own way. You know, they all have, like, something about it that I really think is really cool, whether it's a crazy you know action sequence like the whole limo 
slash two fighter jets. Uh, yeah. you know, so stupid. <laughs> it's stupid, but it works so well I, for some I reason. I love it. Oh my God. I love it so much. Yeah. The horse scene, like it's just so well done. It's so ridiculous. Uh, when they're going up the elevator, the close up shot and with the score <laughs> that's playing the, you know, kind of behind it is it's, it's awesome. And I love that Arnold actually believes that this guy, 15 years experience as a spy, <laughs> yeah. a perfect spy, believes that that horse is going to jump from <laughs> that building to the other side successfully. And then yeah. it's like mad that it doesn't. <laughs> you know? It's, uh, yeah, no, I, there's no scenes in this that I think I don't like. I just revel in its ridiculousness so that's awesome absolutely and brad fidel did the did the score for this and he did terminator 2 terminator johnny mnemonic and some other you know james cameron movies and i really love the score of true lies i i agree with you the music is so poignant in the film and and much like you i do quote this movie a lot i can't meet someone named dana and not go dana i got you dana And then uh, every time I see um, a snow cone maker, I'm like, do you know what this is? It's a snow cone maker. (laughs) (laughs) So I say that a lot. And I always say, um, oh, man, what's the other one I say? Uh, Oh, whenever I'm in an elevator, I'm like, can you push the button for the top floor, please? (laughs) And then people are like, what? I'm like, can you hit 12? So, (laughs) so, (laughs) but uh, yeah, I, I love how quotable this movie is. And Every one of, I mean, Arnold is so famous for his one-liners, of course, right? And, right. you know, stick around and here's Plane Zero or Sub-Zero, now Plane Zero, <laughs> which is still the weirdest fucking line I've ever heard. It's I, so I, weird. I don't, it's great, I don't get it. Like, what, now he's Plane Zero? What? <laughs> so, right. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense, but... I mean, he's he, he's just chock full of one liners. And when you think of Arnold, you think of that, too. And yeah, you're absolutely right, dude. He is so funny in this. Like when the the two uh, Marines are asking him, they're like, these uh, missiles aren't going to set off these nukes. Right. And he's like, negative. They won't. And turns to he turns to right. give and he's like, <laughs> that's um, that's brilliant. And but a lot of that is Arnold just being Arnold. And he's he's so funny and likable. Mm-hmm. Um this I, I don't know if you noticed this time or not, or if you just noticed in the past. Mm-hmm. But when he kisses Jamie Lee Curtis, when him and Helen kiss after the the mushroom cloud yeah. uh, mm-hmm. happens, when he has to go answer to Gib, she says like "Go kick ass" or whatever, and he's like "I will." And he runs. He goes "Bye!" Like in, in a weird <laughs> way, he just goes "Bye," and he like, runs like a little like a little schoolgirl. And it's it's so funny. And I noticed I'm like that was really odd and out of place. But I mean, yeah. that's why I like rewatching the, this type of film. You know what I mean? He loves his job. It's clear in, in oh. this movie that he absolutely loves being a spy. You know, you see it in the first scene, like we talked about. You see it in a lot of uh, scenes later on, like how confident he is in his job. And it's it's awesome. Absolutely. Speaking of uh, spies, do you think you could ever be a spy and live a double life? Uh, I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but it'd be very difficult because I have like somewhat of a public life being on two podcasts and, you know, I do like events now and stuff like that. So to be hidden would be very difficult. Uh, now, can I do, can I live a double life? I feel I do live a double life in a lot of ways. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking about that when uh, you sent me the question, my work life and my home life slash like, I guess pu- public slash, you know, podcast life all is very different from each other. Uh, people from my, normal life would not recognize me when I'm at work. I'm very like determined. I'm very like, I do very intense meetings and I'm just a totally different guy at work. And on the flip side, there's no way people at work would expect what I'm like in real life. 
you know, for example, uh, you know, I go to a meeting and they're like, hey, uh, what'd you do last night? My actual answer is going to be, oh, you know, I stayed home, watched television and nothing too crazy. When in reality, I could be like, oh, you know, I interviewed Kate, Bothworth, uh, Kate Bosworth last night and I spent four hours talking about movies like Samurai Cop and Double Trouble. And then went on another <laughs> podcast and talked about Rectuma and Welcome to Blood Fart Lake and you know how it is. Jesus Christ. How's, how's your night? <laughs> so it's just, it wouldn't fly with that crowd. You know, they talk about golf. They talk about the stock market. They talk about, uh, you know, current events and stuff like that. Whereas in my mind, I'm all I'm thinking about is can't wait to go home and watch uh, some ridiculous Tubi movie and discuss the latest uh, horror trend and stuff like that. So I do live a double life in a weird way. You know, it's, and that, that's fine. You know, it's, it's, it's good in a way to have, kind of two different sides of me differently. Yeah. Well, I think you, you nailed it actually. I didn't even think about that where, where you're absolutely right. Like I'm more reserved at work. Um, I, I put my head down, I grind. Luckily, you know, I work from home, so I don't really interact with my coworkers, but I've been going into the office every Wednesday. And even at that, I mean, uh, I get dressed up to a certain extent instead of wearing like shorts and a t-shirt like I do at home. And it's, and, and I kind of just put my head down. I smile politely. I don't really divulge too much. Or even when I go to the gym, I don't talk to anybody. I just keep my headphones in. But like, shit, I'm around friends and I am just a chatterbox. And mm-hmm. I, I do all these different activities. You know, I'm, I'm scaling mountains. I'm doing X, Y, and Z. I'm traveling all the time. But you, you wouldn't really necessarily know that just from from certain things that I do, like outside of uh, a part of my life. And that's a good way to look at it. And I think... The, the the good thing that this movie did where, you know, you could see these lies that they were both formulating is when Helen, when Harry calls Helen out, like he finds out she's cheating. He's like, oh, I came by your office today. See if you <laughs> want to grab lunch. And then she has this look on her face. She does a really good job, though. And she's like, you'll never believe this. They needed these documents down at the courthouse and they needed the 1074s. Well, you know, the third thir- 13th floor only had the 1073s or something. And so she's really good at, at, at doing that. And me. I'm not a good liar. So I'd be like, um, <laughs> uh, shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, I was seeing the used car salesman, but it was, um, I, yeah, I think you're right. It's living a double life would be really hard. And especially being as suave as how Arnold was, that would take so much mm. practice. There's no way I could look at someone's rank and be like, general, it's so good to see you. He'd be like, who the hell are you? Right. <laughs> Arnold, Arnold just commands it because he has this presence about him, you know? Exactly. So no, it's, it's it's great. I think a, a lot of people live double lives in that respect, though. You know, I don't feel a lot of people go to work the same person that they are outside of work. You know, there's a that's why they talk about work life balance. I think I, I I think it's good almost to keep it separate. It's uh, it's the way I like it anyway. Absolutely. So speaking of um, speaking of this double life, do you have anyone in your life uh, who could possibly be living a double life right now? And if not, who's the most likely to be a candidate? Uh, definitely. I'm, I'm sure of it, uh, especially <laughs> o- occupationally. I, I know people have to live double lives. That's a whole other story that I won't get into. Uh, but also, I always wonder, like, I, you always wonder if people have double lives. Now, now, I'm not saying I have friends who I think are spies or family members or anything <laughs> like that. But I am from the city that uh, created Ashley Madison, right, for example. Oh, my and gosh, that's if, right. If a service like that can thrive for so long until they got hacked. Uh, there's got to be a ton of people out there who are living double lives successfully for years, you know? And I think back, I thought back on it when I read this question and I've seen people run double lives, like right in front of me. Uh, I caught 
over the years, three different people uh, cheating at a Christmas party at work, you know, in the act. And one of them at like, I was at their table. The one of them was with her husband and her side piece at the same table. And she would sneak off with her side piece during the friggin' dinner where her husband is at. And it was like, everyone knew at the table because we've, kind of you know we know her from her work life and he was completely oblivious to it oh and man it, it's it's crazy that people live these such i don't know i i can do it like personally i could not do it but i'm sure there are people out there and i'm sure people i don't i know probably are in that boat and it would shock me but that's just the way it is it's it sucks the the curious side of me wants to believe that I I have one of my friends who I'd be like wait them no they're a spy <laughs> holy shit like my buddy John is is like the nicest guy in the world and um he it would be so awesome if if it's like hey Zach I have something to tell you I'm actually an international spy or something like that <laughs> uh, but I have a friend and his name is Grant he just seemed to have his his finger on the pulse of pretty much all these different projects and what was going on in and out. And he just was connected. He knew people. And Mm -hmm. so part of me, I'm like, I know what he kind of does for work, but then I don't know the other 17 things he does on the side. And, and, and it's that hustle culture, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was living multiple lives um, because he's just a, he's a person who, who, who hops around a bunch too. And my friend Mark is kind of the same way as well, but yeah, it's, um, that, that's such a bummer when you, when you know about that. Cause I've definitely known friends or coworkers where, you know, people are cheating and it's not your place to really say anything, right. but you're kind of just like, why are you being so obvious and mean about it? And, oh, it's, you well, hope, uh, ho- hopefully it, it kind of worked out for the husband and she got caught and I don't know, but that's, um, <laughs> that's a, that's a bummer, man. Yeah. I, I, even one time I just walked into the bathroom, like at a party and there's two and that's, that shocked me. That I did not see that one coming, you know. I'm just like, okay, <laughs> that's that that's a thing. I will use another bathroom. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's crazy. That's yeah. I don't know how people do it. Oh boy, yeah. And I, I mean, maybe that leads into kind of the next uh, the next question too. Here, number six. So part of Harry's life is based around this lie that he's had to make to Helen and Dana for the past 17 years. He's he says he's a computer salesman. He says he loves it, but really he's been killing people left and right and being an international spy. So when she starts to creep a little bit, when Helen does, when she cheats on on well, sort of cheats on um, Harry. She gets involved with Simon. Harry flips the script completely, and he is now the one being lied to. And and you see that his reaction may seem justified at times, but it appears to be quite over the top. I mean, he hires, he uses his department resources to get a helicopter to follow them. Like, it's crazy. So with with what he put Helen through overall in their marriage for these, these years of lying and in the reconnaissance of her affair, do you think his actions were justified? Do you think two wrongs can make a right, or is he just completely off base? I don't think his actions are justified uh, looking at it from the outside. I can also see how he thinks his actions are justified, because in his mind, uh, what he's doing is his job. You know, that's he's, he's not lying for fun. He's not lying for his own pleasure. He's lying because of national security it, and for the safety of Helen and his family. You see it in superhero films all the time. I mean, Spider-Man was a big, that was a big part of the Spider-Man franchise is that he doesn't want people to know he's Peter Parker because it will put his family at risk. 
or his friends or whoever that he's trying to protect. And I feel that that's how Harry felt. So when she does what she does with Simon, he feels betrayed because she doesn't have to lie. You know, it's uh, it's different. It's cheating. He's it's something that's you know that's hurting him, and that's why I think he does what he does. Now he goes way too far with it, and that's <laughs> yeah, that, that that's clear. Although I love the justification when uh, Yib says he has to stop him. And it's like, uh, remember when you uh, blew a six-week operation because you were busy getting a blowjob? <laughs> and he's like, all right, you know, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> yeah, that was that was classic comedic comedic timing, and and he was along for the ride. I like when they're interrogating her, and he keeps asking all those questions, and he's like, "Can I do this, please?" Like, it's right? So funny, um, but. I, he does he does in a sense push Helen away because for his own freaking birthday he he can't show up you know he's late it's that trope of this Arnold and Jingle all the way too you're my number one customer and <laughs> oh my god never shows up and so I would feel justified for his wife and for his son to be pissed at him and in this case I'd be expect his wife and his daughter to be pissed at him too because it's like dude you're never here and even even with work it's it's you're neglecting your wife who does love you but. I, I don't ever want to condone cheating, but if she's just getting no love and no respect from him, or I don't know about respect, but no love and no attention from him, she's just kind of dipping her feet in the water a little bit. And with the kidnapping, I mean, he's now compounding a, a lie and making it a way bigger lie and terrifying the shit out of her. So when she punches him, when they find out, it's so justified, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. It's so justified. I'm... She has every right in the world to be pissed because even if he lied about, you know, even if um she lied about the Simon thing, he lied about being a spy. He kidnapped her, basically. Mm-hmm. He did all these things. And it's like, dude, this is pretty effed up. But, yeah, but again, in his mind, I can see like he, yeah. he doesn't show up for his birthday party. Right. And from her perspective, we get it like he's never there. He's not there for the birthday party. She puts all this effort and he doesn't kind of give it back to her. But in his mind, it's like, I wasn't out with my buddies having a drink or, you know, screwing some other lady. I was, you know, pretending, like fighting a terrorist. So that's what it was. So I could, they're, they're like, it's just a lack of communication, right? That's the whole, they always say for relationships, communication is number one. And that's absolutely true. Um, now, how do you, how would you do this situation? Because he's not allowed to tell anybody what he does. And he's going to be late for dinners. He's not going to make appointments. He can't be there all the time. Uh, he's kind of in a tough position at the same time. Now, I'm not justifying what he did because I think he went too far. But <laughs> how, like, how how do you live that double life successfully without alienating your wife and uh, still keeping like your position at your job? I, I have no idea, honestly. Yeah, that's a tough one. I I wouldn't know. Um because yeah, you're you're right, and I always think that there's two sides to every story, and uh, regardless of uh, one person's perspective, I mean, you, you maybe have to pump the brakes a little bit and see it from their angle. So I don't know. It's hard with the computer salesman because I'd be like, you are five hours late because of a, a meeting or something like that, right? And then the fact that he's probably he might have like wounds on him too that a little different, but yeah, it's I don't really know. I, I don't think I could ever last that long, but he is suave. So maybe he, he does make it work. Um, I don't know. Maybe his wife seems like a pushover. So she just kind of takes it. But then this is what like breaks her out of the shell. So 
I don't know. I, I could never do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I love his little like speech about like the computer model that he's uh, demoing <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. It's, it's just so uh, he made it so boring that it just doesn't matter what he's saying. Know. You know, it's, it was perfect. It was, it was great. I love my job. I love computers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so stupid. I can't imagine Arnold being a computer software engineer. Oh my God, like right? Like, just... look, look at who you married. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's why I think it's so funny. Anytime Arnold is in a certain role, like in his younger years, just this huge monster of a man being like, I don't know, a kindergarten teacher. You're like, what? Right. And even the moms in that movie, they're like, whoa, that's the kindergarten teacher. Cause he's just <laughs> right. huge. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't make any sense at all. You made a good comparison with Jingle All the Way. You know, it's basically you're my favorite customer. <laughs> and he, he, that's what he does. He works on the phone and it's such a, it's so weird for him to, to do that. It's, it's yeah. Seriously. Crazy. Okay, well, yeah, so my final question is, it's about James Cameron. He is one of those directors that works his magic, and we we talked about him uh, a little bit ago. His films, no matter when they are made, have such amazing rewatchability even decades later. The visuals, the action, the pacing, the stories, they all feel so visceral, and, and, and they don't feel outdated. I watched Terminator 2 the other day, and I was just blown away with how good it looks in 4K. It, it, it still, I feel like I'm in the theater watching it like it's it's so goddamn awesome and well done what other directors can you think of who can create films like this that just have this lasting rewatchability oh uh, the first one that came to mind is john carpenter uh for me uh, i think john carpenter has like great a great track record with really awesome films that have held the test of time you know you talk about halloween you talk about they live and uh christine and there's the, there's a bunch of others that uh, that was the first name that kind of popped up in my head when I got that question because uh, he's just so good, you know, in in the horror genre and everything. Like, I personally really like George A. Romero as well, although I do find that his later films weren't exactly the best, but that kind of happens with a lot of directors too. It's like they become almost like a parody of themselves, I find, with a lot of directors. <laughs> yeah. they They get so confident in what they're doing that they stop, like, caring about the product. And it's unfortunate, and that happens to a lot of directors, but he's still one of my personal favorites. But uh, James Cameron's really in a league of his own because he's kept up that quality throughout his career, you know, from the early 80s all the way to, I guess, Avatar because there's, he hasn't made anything since. And, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy just how rewatchable his films are, like, like you said. And I think a big part of that is, A, uh, he uses practical effects for a lot of it, so that does age well, you know, CGI does not age well, especially when you're talking about the, you know, 80s and 90s, uh, even though T2, like you could see a little bit that the CGI isn't great, but it still holds up, you know, it's crazy that uh, even that was able, he was able to do like something so great. And uh, just relating to this film, something we didn't discuss really much too much is uh, the Aziz character. I feel like he puts a lot of effort into research into his movies and stuff like that. For example, Aziz constantly watches himself on screen when the news is on and he's very obsessed with the video of what it's going to look like and everything. And that's something that we would find out years later Osama bin Laden would do when they found his tapes in his hole. So he must have done research of what terrorists... Uh, tendencies are like and I think that level of research and that level of attention to detail 
in his movies is another reason why his films hold like hold up to this day and he's great for it that's a really good point yeah i didn't even i didn't even think about that and and, um art malik i think uh who played um aziz he he was great he was excellent i i really enjoyed his character a lot and i think he was a good bad guy he's been in in various things but he just he does a, a great job and especially the intro from him you know you think tia carrera you're like well she's a boss why is this guy coming up to her as soon as he closes the door instantly he smacks her and you're like oh this guy's in charge okay but yeah like it, that makes a lot more sense now to, to think about why he freaks out about the battery and why he, he he needs a film crew to come film him and that's not like what a normal terrorist would do but yeah it's uh very that's a really good point I didn't even think about that. Can you believe that fucking Avatar re-released and made $30 million for this re-release for the last weekend that it came out? Like, that's you, James, insane. James Cameron is like, <laughs> yeah, he, he's, I don't know, like, he's, he's paying people to go to movies or something because everything he does is gold. It's crazy. Like, even re-releasing Avatar, even though everyone has it. Uh, and, you know, a little shady, I got to say, a little on Disney's part. They removed yes. it from Disney+. Plus. For this oh, to happen. Gosh. Uh, oh gosh. Oh, that's so, if, so stupid. So right now, if you want to watch Avatar before going to Avatar 2, you either have to have the Blu-ray or you have to go see in theaters. Which I think was I didn't like that. That it is what it is, but I don't like it either. But I think I think you're absolutely right with with uh those directors and John Carpenter. I mean, so the thing is one of my favorite horror films of all time. I mm. I never get tired of that movie because Rob Bottin did the the effects on it. And right. holy shit. I mean, he, he literally put himself in the hospital because he exhausted himself from working on it. And it's just I watch it and I got I was lucky for the road show that they did where uh, they were uh, for the 30th anniversary. They were putting it in theaters and our 40th anniversary, put it in theaters. And I went and I saw it and I was like, this is so great to be around thing fans right. and just <laughs> just just experience it on the big screen the chest burster in real life and 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 the, the the dogs in the kennel transforming i mean it all is so disgusting and awesome at the same time that i i can't get enough so yeah i think carpenter films have a, a definitely a lasting effect throughout the years um and i would definitely say christopher nolan too his movies just have this 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 appeal to them that i don't think i can ever really get tired of even as they go on and he is also really picky and choosy right right uh, quentin, quentin tarantino same kind of thing his his mm-hmm. movies just have a, a lasting power david fincher same way except for aliens 3 uh, that wasn't really right. his fault but <laughs> right uh, yeah he's 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 great with his aesthetic and then of course steven spielberg i mean yeah. pretty much any steven spielberg movie you see you're like "Ooh, yeah this is a spielberg movie and it's just it right. really, Jurassic Park. I could put Jurassic Park in now and be like, holy crap. It, it, it's incredible how the visuals are and that and they still hold up to this day. So. I, I got to ask you this because I asked I ask people on my podcast this when we, we did uh, the top of the 90s episode last year. Mm-hmm. Jurassic Park. Is it a, a horror film? Ooh, my classification <laughs> for horror is tricky and it keeps changing. But I think it needs to in it needs to elicit some sort of reaction you need to have a fear in you while you're watching it it needs to have some sort of death or 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 killing and it needs to be um i don't know i don't know (laughs) the third third i I would say it's two for two right (laughs) i would definitely i could i could consider it a horror film because if somebody watches it and and you're like holy shit especially the the intro to the t-rex like that Mm. is that's a creepy scene man like you're like where's the goat and then it's (laughs) it's a lot so that's a good question. I would say an, not a traditional horror film, but 
Yeah, you could classify it as one. I could see yeah. that. Yeah, we yeah, we had a huge debate about it. Uh, but I could see it as a creature feature. It, it's yeah, you know, it's a uh, dinosaurs are monsters. They're almost like the definition of monsters. They're big. They got giant teeth. They're they stalk you. It's you know the raptors are terrifying. T Rex is terrifying. It's yeah, I, I think it definitely fits into the horror genre. But for some reason, no one considered it a horror film. You know, no one says, "Hey, Jurassic Park, that amazing horror film." But yeah, they'll they'll watch Godzilla, which is also essentially a giant dinosaur and be like well that's a horror film yeah why? see well, why yeah, you're a right. horror film and not jurassic park yeah and stan winston i mean he he is a creature feature guy he's mm-hmm. pretty much known for horror films and he did the dinosaurs for this so i would say on that merit too yeah this is a horror film or um, jurassic park is a horror film cool okay i dig <laughs> it um cool well so those are all the questions i have but I do want to get uh, your hottest take and you can defend your hottest or most controversial take on this movie, on movies of this genre, on actors of this era, on, on action actors, whatever you want to defend. What hill are you willing to die on? Uh, it's basically that this is the best action film ever made. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, ever, yeah, made. Yeah. ever made. Ever made. Yeah, that's it. Whoa. This is, to me, the best <laughs> action film ever made uh, as far as like a pure action film. It's just, I, I can't, it has everything. It has one of the best directors of all time. It has, I think, the goat of action films. I think Arnold Schwarzenegger is the poster child for action films. That's why The Simpsons used McBain. That's why, you know, <laughs> yeah. when you think of action films, to me, this is, like, the biggest actor in that space. Now, you have great uh, action stars of, you know, other eras and stuff like that. You know, there are great ones today. They're... There were great ones before that, but I think he is kind of the essence of what an action film at least used to be, you know, and that's something that uh, we discussed on a podcast recently. I think if, because someone asked me what Arnold film should they have a sequel to if he were going to make like one last one. And my mind went to this first because it's my favorite, but I think it should be Last Action Hero. I love that movie. (laughs) Instead, he comes out and sees what action films have become since like his era <laughs> so it kind of plays off him being the old school action star versus what kind of new school action is like and that's yeah. I think, the film i would like to see but i think to me this is the best action film of all time wow <laughs> i i can't even uh that's that's a good that's a good hot take because You'll find a lot of controversy with that. I mean, you'll hear people say The Rock is the greatest action movie of all time or T2 or Mad Max Fury Road or, Mm -hmm. you know, you name it. Right. People will say that left and right. And for me, I don't know if I can classify the greatest action movie of all time. I do agree with you that this movie does an amazing job of blending the right amount of humor and drama and action and story to really keep you engaged. And I'm not going to tell, I'm not going to yuck someone's yum if they're like, Hey, predators, the best action movie. And I'm like, Mm. well, that's fine, but it's a pretty linear plot and it's pretty easy to follow. A lot of eighties action movies are so simple and there's not much of a story that it doesn't really do it for me. So this one has an actual legit story. It's, it's so well-made that you're not that off base. I am. I, I, I like, I like what you're putting down there. Yeah. I actually think this is almost a template for like Marvel films, you know, MCU films that, uh, they had for a yeah. long time it's got the comedy but slash the action slash the story it's got kind of world building it's you know it's almost like this was the template they used to start the mcu and 
I, I'll defend it to the death. Like I, I'm like I'm with you. If someone tells me they prefer Predator, they prefer you know Demolition Man, they prefer whatever Demolition else. Man. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, like I'll, I'll be fine with it. But to me, this is this is it. This is number one. I like that as a precursor because you're right. It, it it blends everything together and it works really well. And it's not overly campy. It's it's it makes sense. And so yeah, I I, I could get down with that. Um. I would so, but what I will disagree with you. So it's maybe not disagree necessarily. I'd say my favorite Arnold film of all time is Total Recall. I absolutely love Total Recall. Um, you're going to hear argument from people saying whatever theirs are, but I think Total Recall is so incredibly brilliant. Um, mm. It is the you know Paul Verhoeven doing his basically trilogy between RoboCop, uh, Total Recall and Starship Troopers of the authoritarian governance is is brilliant. It's it's absolutely incredible. It's about questioning reality. And I mean, Total Recall comes from that short story that Philip K. Dick wrote, We Can Remember It For You Wholesale. It's successful in making you question uh, if you what you just watched, if it was real or not. I remember seeing it for the first time and I'm like, wait, was he dreaming? Was he really a spy? Uh, and then as I went on, I was like, I don't think he was because here are the clues. But then you're like, wait a minute, but that wouldn't make any sense. And I love it. I love the fact that it's open ended. It's a it's a great blend of action. It's gratuitous and over the top because that's what Verhoeven does. Uh, but but it works so well. And we see Arnold kind of in a different light where he's not, you know, get him in the tightest muscle shirt possible. He's just wearing like an over jacket, a flannel and like khakis pretty much the entire time. Uh, other than the ridiculous jackhammer scene at the beginning when right, right. he's yeah, just yeah. wearing you like a to, tank top. <laughs> right. You have to put that in there. There's like part to, of his yeah. contract. I mean, right. even, even in, tr- in true lies, like his shirt rips and stuff and you get to see <laughs> right. it. I'm like, oh, God, here we go. Here's the quota that he has to. He has yeah, to right. But yeah, I absolutely love Total Recall. I think it's the best Arnold Schwarzenegger movie ever, and I don't think anything will ever top it. It's it's unreal. It's so good. It's my second, so uh, you won't get much well, more an argument from me. Well, I, there I think we go. It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. There we go. Okay, sweet. So, do you have any final thoughts? And, and what is your letter grade for True Lies? Uh, you know, True Lies. Like I said, it's it's one of my favorite films of all time. It's my favorite action film. You know, it marries so many of the things I love about cinema. You know, whether it's the star, the director, the practical effects, the story, the comedy, it's just everything I want in a film. It's one that it's one of my comfort films. So when I lived alone, uh, this is a long time ago now, I had essentially like three films that I would pop in any time that I just wanted to relax. It was this Fifth Element and Demolition Man. It's just, they were like my three comfort films <laughs> yeah. for whatever reason. It's just, I knew them, you know, from front to back and I've seen it. God knows how many times it's absolutely amazing. So for me, it's an A plus. There's just no other way to do this. It's one of my favorites and that's the way it is. I dig it. Hell yeah. Uh, for me, I think that this movie is definitely an A. Um, I absolutely love it. It's, it's, I'd probably say total recall T2 and then this, um, yeah, I can't get enough of it. Every time it's on, I'm like, I have to watch this. I mean, come right. on, it's true lies. I have to watch it. It's, it's so great. So it, it just hits every beat. It reminds me of when I was with my dad and we'd watch movies and we'd go to the video store and rent them. And this is like, this is a perfect dad and son movie. It's, it is. <laughs> you know, it mo- mom's away during the Jamie Lee Curtis scene. And they're like, oh yeah, but um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it just hits on every level, man. So um, cool. Okay, so uh, give me about one or two recommendations. What movies are you excited for, or what should I be watching now? 
So I'm a huge fan of exorcism films, like the immortal and amazing classic The Exorcist. I think you've heard of it. <laughs> I hate that movie. Oh, that movie sucks. Oh, it's um, so bad. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's one of my biggest regrets in the world is that I didn't get to talk to you about The Exorcist on that episode <laughs> because of technical difficulties. But um, there's another great exorcism film that came out this year that nobody's talking about, and it's called The Exorcism of God. Um, it's a movie from uh, Alejandro Hidalgo. Uh, it's a genuinely scary film. It's got things in the movie that shocked me. And I'm hard to shock. I watch a lot of horror movies. And the fact that this movie went somewhere that I thought no movie would ever have the balls to go to is absolutely fantastic. It's one of my favorites of the year. I got to interview the director and the star of the film, and they were both great. So I would highly recommend that one. It stars a Joseph Marcel, who most people would know as uh, Jeffrey the Butler from The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah, that's of, right. Of all people who plays one of the two exorcists in the movie. Um, it's really, really cool movie. So people, if they can kind of seek it out, uh, that'd be one I would recommend. And that's more of an in-your-face horror film. You know, it's very, like, visually horror. Uh, if you're looking for something a little more intellectual and psychologically, like, damaging... <laughs> Uh, watch Jean-Christophe Maurice's Bloody Oranges. It's an extremely smart, provocative, uh, well-made film that starts off as a dark comedy with clever dialogue and interesting situations that then does a complete 180 and be becomes like a difficult-to-watch horror film. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I really, really loved going through the experience. Uh, it's just a super well-made film that, again, nobody's talking about. Like, I haven't seen anyone talk about this film, and it's a shame because it's just so, so good. Uh, and actually, also another one, and just to throw out a third one out there, uh, Christian Taftrup's Speak No Evil is another one that kind of does the same thing, where it starts off as a lighthearted kind of affair and then descends into psychological horror. Uh, and I, I love that. I love the slow burn descend into madness. And both those films um, just absolutely exude that energy and I, I can't recommend them enough so th those are the three i would say to check out for 2022 films that uh, have come out awesome yeah so speak no evil looks like it's on shutter is that right yeah speak no evil is on shutter uh, so is bloody oranges i see that um, yeah the other the exorcism of god uh, was on vod the last time i checked i don't know if it's come out on streaming yet so okay yeah i'll have to check for the u.s um but yeah, Bloody Oranges sounds very interesting. Um, I, a dance contest, the trailer, like the, the quick trailer on IMDb, I'm like, huh, this doesn't look like a horror film. But if you're saying it goes to a, a really disturbing twist, then that should be interesting. <laughs> so Yeah, it, it, it's a it's a really weird, it's a, kind of an anthology. It's kind of three stories that uh, they tell, you know, kind of at this at the same time. And then there's something that happens. It's almost like halfway, maybe closer to three quarters where the film just shifts and goes into horror and it's it's uh, it's, <laughs> cool. it's jarring cool and it's what brings the stories together at the same time and it's super interesting the way that they did this and i thought it was brilliant it's just nobody talks about it and that's such a shame that's why i love to go on podcasts like this and just tell people about these movies because there's so much that comes out now you know with streaming services it's impossible to watch everything i mean I, I was just reading an article today of the 11 movies coming out this weekend. Like, oh, shit. Like, you're right. How, 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 <laughs> how are we supposed, yeah, <laughs> supposed to keep up with that? And that's just horror. That's not even 
oh other genres. That's just horror this week. It's just it's just crazy. So these movies get lost in the shuffle, and I always like to kind of bring them back out there and hopefully get more people to watch them and stuff. Oh, totally. And I have friends, my, my friend David and my friend Matt are big horror fans. And so uh, by the time this episode posts, it'll be October already. But spooky season is my favorite. I watch a horror film every single day in October. So I'm definitely going to add Speak No Evil and Bloody Oranges on there. Um, the If I can find the Exorcism of God available streaming here, I will. Um, it might be easy just to get a quick rent too. Exorcism movies are interesting for me. The exorcist itself was stupid, but I have seen ones where I'm like, Ooh, I don't like that possession. That's uh, that's something that's going to terrify me. But yeah, other, otherwise I, I love horror film. It's my, it's my favorite genre. It's, it's just so good. So like, likewise. Though. Oh, so yeah, I'll have to re- redo my shutter account, which is what I was planning on anyways. So, <laughs> Awesome. Well, that is all I have. Steve, thank you so much. It was it's such a blast. Um, it's always great to have you. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, so you can find me through my podcast uh, at the Horror Squad podcast or at uh, Let's XP Geeking Gaming podcast. That's generally like how you can find me. I do have personal accounts under Flipping the Nerd, but I don't post like personal so much anymore. I, I've just have so much my hands so full with my podcast stuff. So that's probably the best way uh, to find me. And we're doing a lot of really cool stuff. We have seven interviews coming up in October for the Horror Squad podcast, including some really big names that we're actually, we were surprised that we got. So it's very exciting time for our podcast. We're also hosting two events uh, this month. We're doing a signing with Damien Maffei, who's the star of Haunt and Strangers Pray at Night. And then we're doing something really exciting on October 22nd in Salem, we are bringing back Omri Katz from uh, Hocus Pocus to Salem for the first time. And we're going to just do a bunch of stuff. We're going to have autograph signing with him. We have a screening and then a Q&A that we're hosting. And we have like a whole menu set up from a restaurant that's helping us with this event called The Crypt. And it's just going to be a really good time. And we sold out the screening like really quickly. So we're excited cool. about that. And yeah, it's just an exciting time. Obviously, we come alive in October so. We're yeah. pretty excited, and uh, yeah, it's great. That's awesome. You should ask him about that episode of Eerie Indiana when it gets all meta, and uh, you know he he plays himself basically, and he doesn't know what's going on. All the actors are like actually themselves. It's like one of my favorite Eerie and Eerie Indiana episodes, which was like <laughs> Twilight Zone for kids, basically. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah, Omri Katz. That's that's super cool. Awesome. Well, yeah, I again, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, I, I love the Horse Squad podcast. I listen to it all the time and uh, very excited for spooky season. Love your recommendations as always. So cool. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. Yeah. So everybody, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give us film suggestions, or tell us if we are crazy. Hell, you can even send us some funny memes. Just make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review if you like us. If you don't, totally cool too. Shoot some uh, feedback my way. I will take it because I like constructive criticism. Additionally, I'm also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening, and until next time, don't be crazy.